I realized about last week's message that I was a little blunt in some areas and I hadn't put any buffers in, particularly when I talked about tithing because in my mind I wasn't actually talking about tithing so I didn't actually buffer it. So I just want to say one thing about that and, I, yeah, and I'm kind of kicking myself that I didn't do it at the time. If you are in a financial situation where you literally cannot afford to tithe because you have all this debt, this is what you actually need to do. You go to God and you say, I'm going to start tithing $5 a week. And I'm going to tie $5 a week for the next three weeks. And then on week four, I'm going to increase it to $10. And then you say to God, I'm going to have this commitment. And every fourth week, I'm going to increase it by $5. And I guarantee that if you do that, you will begin to see the blessings of God flow. What will happen is in six months' time, you'll be sitting there and you'll be going, I don't understand how this works. I have all this debt, and we only had this much money left over, and I'm now tithing for the last six months, more and more money, um, and the debt's shrunk, but I've got more money left over at the end of the week. I have had countless people over the years tell testimonies of that happening. So I just wanted to buffer that because I know that I, I was quite blunt, but like I said, in my mind, I wasn't actually speaking about tithing, and, and um, Craig kind of pointed out that you didn't kind of cover that, and it was really quite harsh, so I apologize for that. Um, and I also want to apologize for taking too long last week and uh, not being able to finish it all. So yeah, I will try to do better this week, all right? So let me tell you my theory or my, my interpretation of the Big Bang Theory, okay? So what we did, one day there was this massive explosion in space. And what you had is all of a sudden out of the explosion, you ended up with the sun and the planets and the moons. And the sun just said, I'm actually going to just sit here and rotate. And the planet said to the sun, well, that's great. We kind of like that idea. We're going to do it too. But, you know, we, we kind of like to be, jazz it up a bit. So we're also going to circle around you and we're going to call this orbiting. And the sun said, this is great. And the planets agreed and everybody was happy. And, and that's what happened. And then there was this one particular planet called Earth. And on Earth, it was, it was covered with land and it was covered with water. And inside the water, there were these teeny tiny microorganisms that suddenly randomly thought to themselves, I want to be big. So they started to grow and they started to multiply. Anyway, as it's kind of floating through, it goes, I'm feeling hungry, I need to eat, I'm going to grow a mouth. So it grew a mouth, and then as it's floating along, it goes, I can't breathe, I need to breathe, and it grew gills. Then it's going along, and it keeps swimming into things, because it can't see anything, and it goes, I know what, I need eyes. So it just randomly grew eyes. And then as it's, it's kind of floating along, it goes, this isn't really working for me. I'm getting pushed around by the water. Um, I'm going to grow fins. So it grew some fins so it could move quickly through the water. As this microorganism now is kind of there, this floating around, it spies the land and it sees trees. And it goes, that looks interesting. So it kind of slides itself around and it kind of grows these these legs and these army things, and the next thing you know, it bounces out of the water, bounces across the land, and it became the first amphibian, otherwise known as a frog, because I can't spell amphibian. So the frog is now jumping around the land, and it sees this tree, and it climbs up the tree, and it thinks, that was kind of fun. I could do that to another tree. But it kind of got a bit annoyed about having to climb down the trees, hop along the land, climb up the trees, and it goes, this would be so much better if I could, like, had longer arms, 
and longer legs, maybe a tail, and I could swing. So that's what it did. It just randomly grew these things, grew a tail, and it began to swing from tree to tree. One day, it is looking at this tree, it goes, that's an amazing tree, and it launched itself, but it was actually rather ambitious, and he fell. And as he fell, the hair fell off, the tail flew out, and he ends up by standing upright, and we had the first man. <laughs> that's how we did it. Now, I don't know if you have studied the Big Bang Theory or the origin of species or the theory of evolution. And I do not understand why they say that what I believe is so improbable, yet what they believe is not. I mean, it was random. What I've also discovered and what I believe is that scientists generally do not believe in anything that they cannot measure. If they can't measure it by its size, its weight, its velocity, its volume, its um, resistance, if it cannot, they cannot use physical reasoning to actually measure something, they don't believe it happens. Now we know that, that as Christians we firmly believe that God spoke the world into existence, that he spoke us into being. So we, of course, have a very different mindset. We believe that the spiritual things... Okay, out of the spiritual became the physical. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, it says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which were seen were not made of things which are invisible. I kind of prefer the way, because New King James can be a little wordy, I do prefer the way the voice puts it. And the voice says it like this, which I think explains it really well. Through faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. Everything we now see was fashioned from that which was invisible. So everything in the physical started in the spiritual. We as Christians believe that firmly when it comes to the creation story. We do not believe that there was a, a massive bang and suddenly things became to happen. We believe that God spoke out of the spiritual realm and he spoke the physical world into being. And as, as we believe that, what I find interesting is we're happy to believe that about the creation story, but do we believe that about other things in our life? One day, imagine, in fact, today you decide it's quite a nice day, sun's shining, the weather's nice, you're going to pack up your family and you're going to go on a picnic. And you drive out to Maraitai Beach and you unload this really nice picnic and you've got coleslaw, maybe some potato salad, some fried chicken, some potato and gravy, Obviously, I'm thinking of KFC. So anyway, you spread out your, your, your picnic blanket. You're all sitting there. You say grace before you eat because, you know, even uh, pigs grunt before they feed. And so you're about to eat, and you're having some fun. And all of a sudden, as you're sitting there enjoying your family time, you hear this buzzing sound. And the buzzing sound is coming closer, and it's getting louder. And you say, hey, kids, look, there's a drone. And so, yeah, oh, wow, there's a drone, and everyone's looking at the drone. And the drone becomes closer. In fact, the drone's coming so close, you can read the name written on the side of the drone as to who made that drone. Not only that, the drone is coming so close, that all of a sudden you're getting a bit worried, so you actually realize the drone is coming at you. It has been thrown into your whole entire picnic, so you quickly gather up your kids, you put them under the picnic table to protect them, and once you're assured that they're safe, you come out, you pick up your baseball bat, and you go and hunt down that drone, and you smash it to smithereens, all in love because we're Christians. And you think to yourself, well, that's okay. I got rid of that. You bring the family back out, you sit back down, and you begin to eat again. 
And then you hear this buzzing sound. And sure enough, there's another drone coming. And as this drone begins to come towards you, you do the whole thing again. You put your family to one side, make sure they're safe. You grab your baseball bat, you smash it to smithereens. And this continues for three or four cycles. I would hope that you begin to get a clue that you don't need to go and hunt down the drones. You need to go and find the guy with the remote control. The problem is, we are in the physical realm. And there is an enemy who is in the spiritual realm with a remote control. And what he does is he constantly sends drones into your life. And you spend your whole time chasing drones in the physical and not looking for the guy in the spiritual realm with the remote control. The thing you have to understand is he has an inexhaustible supply of drones. It doesn't matter how many of them you smash down, you're actually not going to win that one. I believe that abortion of any kind is murder. I believe that there are some great Christian people and great Christian organizations who actually are spending a lot of time and effort addressing the physical realities of trying to defeat abortion, of trying to get abortion stopped. And because I have such strong feelings about abortion, I will sign your petition, I will vote pro-life, and I will peacefully demonstrate against abortions. I do not believe that abortions were caused because of some selfish mother found her child to be an inconvenience. I don't believe that abortions are caused because some greedy doctors decided they could make money of killing unborn children. I don't believe that scientific breakthroughs in medical science um, is a valid reason for us to be aborting children. What I believe is there is a demon with a remote control who is actually called murder. He is the problem that we need to defeat to remove abortion. You see, the mothers and the doctors and the medical science, they're all just drones. If we spend more time attacking the spiritual aspect of abortion, we will get far more ahead than attacking the physical aspects of abortion. Ephesians 6.12, uh, it talks about the whole armor of God. And in verse 12 specifically it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. What I find really frustrating about most Christians is they go, we do not wrestle. Um, that's actually not what the scripture says. Oh, no, no, we're Christians. We, you know, we're, we're all peace-loving and we don't wrestle and we don't fight. That is not what the scripture says. What the scripture says is that we do not wrestle against the physical. We do not wrestle against one another. We do not wrestle against mankind. What the scripture says is that we wrestle against the spiritual. We fight against the spiritual. It's quite interesting because in that particular passage, the Greek word for high in the, New, in the New Testament is used 18 times. When it says high places, that particular translation, translation is used 18 times in the New Testament. 16 of those times, it has accurately been translated as heaven or heavenly. Once they use the word and they translate it as celestial. It's only in this particular passage that for some reason they use the word high. And the only thing I can think of is back in the 1600s when they, made the, when they were translating the Bible, they used the word high because they were, felt awkward about talking about the demonic activities happening in heaven. 
But we have to be practical about spiritual matters. We have to be. We are spiritual beings who live in a physical world. The body that you encase at the moment will pass away, and that is not the sum total of who you are. Who you are is made up of your, your spirit and is made up of your soul. This body that you have is just a casing for this earth. There are certain people who tend to over-spiritualize things. And because they over-spiritualize things, it makes the rest of us who are far more practical shy away from dealing with spiritual things. Yes, you, you, we all know those people. They're a bit like the Adams Family. You guys know the old TV show? The Uki and the Spooky? No? All right. You guys have got to get out more. <laughs> but when we over-spiritualize things, what happens is we, we lose the practical. So if you're going along your day and you see a guy beating up an old lady and you go up to him and you say, because we wrestle not, and I'm a Christian, I can't, I can't wrestle you, so I need to know what kind of demon this is because I can do spiritual warfare and I can pray for you. So uh, are you just wanting to beat the lady up? If so, then that's a demon of violence. Um, if you're wanting to kill her, then that, that's a demon of murder. And if you just want to rob her, then that's a whole different demon. By now, the poor lady has actually bled out on the sidewalk. What you need to do is we go in there, you beat the guy up, you smash him over the head with whatever you can, you stop him from doing what he's doing, and then you deal with the spiritual issue. Because while we live in this physical world, we must answer things physically, but never forgetting that there is a spiritual thing happening. We do not over-spiritualize things. Just because you've got a flat tire is not the devil having a go at you. It's just a flat tire. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 2 to 4 says, um, talks in there about Paul tells of a man caught up to the third heaven and describes paradise. And he said that he heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. The third heaven is obviously God's heaven. And Psalm 19, verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. The word heavens and the word firmament in this passage are actually one and the same. This particular style of writing is used mostly through the Proverbs where the former statement is reinforced by the latter statement. So what is the firmament? Is it the sky? Yeah, it is. Is it the sun? Yep. Is it the moon? Yes. The earth? Yes. Is it us? Yes. Anything that is physical is in what we call the firmament. The firmament is the physical realm, and the physical realm is the firmament. Firmament is also called heaven. This is called the first heaven. So we have what is called the first heaven, which is the physical realm, the firmament, and we have something that's been called the third heaven, which is where God is. So if we have a first heaven and we have a third heaven, then obviously there must be a second heaven. So where's the second heaven? One of the things you have to understand is that there are no wars fought in the third heaven. Remember we talked last week, we talked about the glory of God and wherever God is that his enemies cannot abide. That means that there's no wars wherever God is. So in God's heaven, which is the third heaven, there are no wars. You cannot have, have that because God's there and nothing else can be there. So any war then that happens, any spiritual warfare that happens, gets relegated to either the first heaven or the second heaven. But which one? How do we know if it's going to be in the first heaven or if it's going to be in the second heaven? 
Well, quite simply, you can find this out by reading about or finding out about who's doing the fighting. It depends on who's fighting as to which heaven you're in. Are you in the first heaven fighting or are you in the second heaven fighting? In Revelations 12, verse 7, it says, A battle broke out in heaven. Michael, along with his heavenly messengers, clashed against the dragon. The dragon and his messengers returned the fight, but they did not prevail and were defeated. As a result, there was no place left for them in heaven. Now, I understand this is probably a bit heavy for some of you, but if you bear with me, you'll get it. You have to understand that angels, of course, are spiritual beings. And this war that they were just talked about in the book of Revelation is fought in the spiritual realm. It's fought in the second heaven, because as we said, there can be no wars in God's heaven. There's no wars in the third heaven. Satan and the angels were cast out of heaven long before Adam and Eve were created. What is interesting to note is that we have three, sorry, I just lost my page. See, this is what Amanda was talking about, can't trust technology. So right at the beginning of time, when God was in his heaven, he, there were three archangels. So I'm just going to give you a bit of history. So you have three archangels. The first one is Michael. Michael is the warring angel. He is in charge of the armies of God. He is a warrior. His sole purpose is to battle and to fight. Then you have um, the messenger angel. And the, that archangel is Gabriel. And Gabriel is in charge of the ministering angels. So when you have situations where, and the Bible talks about angels came and ministered, those are Gabriel and his angels. There's a third set of angels, and they were led by Lucifer, and he was in charge of worship, music, and dance. He led the praise of heaven. He led the worship to God in heaven. So you have these three angels who reside in heaven with God, and when Lucifer came so full of pride and decided that he was going to be good enough to receive worship instead of God receiving worship, he was cast out. It was instantaneous. Because why? That sin that had just suddenly resided in Lucifer could not abide in God's heaven. So he was propelled out. And as he fell, he took a third of the angels with him. He took all those angels that he was in charge of. They all left with him. All the ministering angels, all those worshipping angels, all left with Lucifer and fell. Thing is, when they fell, he was not able to come to this earth and establish a physical kingdom because he is a spiritual being who resides in a spiritual place. Once Satan was out of the way, that is when God decided he was going to create man. He was going to create Adam and Eve. He was creating them for fellowship. He was creating man for worship. He was creating man for praise. The reason why the devil hates you so much is that you took his job. You are his replacement. God needed to be worshipped because he is God, and that is what happens when you're God. You get worship, And so he actually decided to create you and to have a relationship with you so that when you worship him from your own free will, it actually meant more. So here we have Satan in the, in the second heaven, and he sits between God and he sits between man. This is why we need spiritual warfare. Satan is not in hell. A lot of Christians believe that Satan at this moment is in hell. He's not. Not yet. That doesn't happen till the end. But for now, he is the power of the prince of the year. And he sits between God and man. We have three kings, that, if you remember from last week. We have three kings. There is God, Satan, and self. If God is the king in heaven, the third heaven, 
and Satan is the second uh, is the king of the second heaven, then who is the king of the first heaven? Man. Because God gave dominion of the earth over to man. This is why it's important where we always pray Jesus' prayer, your kingdom come. Why? Because we actually need that third heaven to reside here on our physical earth. When you pray in the physical, when we pray from the first heaven, we are praying to God who resides in the third heaven. So when you pray those prayers, well, you have to picture it like this. Picture your faith like an arm. So when you pray in faith, you go, God, I have this need. And what happens is, is your faith reaches up, and it goes through the second heaven, and it goes into the third heaven, into the throne room of God, where the hand is stretched out and it's open. And what God does is he places in your hand your answer to prayer. And then what happens is you grip that answer to prayer, and you, as you're still praying and believing and standing in faith, you pull it out of the third heaven, out of the throne room of God, you're pulling it down through the second heaven where the Satan's going to say to everybody, everybody, back up, answer the prayer coming through. Everybody, keep clear. Is that what he says? No, it's not. Do you know what he says? And I want you to never forget this. If you, if you not, do not remember anything else from today, this is the principle you need to remember. Satan cannot take your answer to prayer out of your hand. He doesn't have the power or the authority to do that. He cannot take it out of your hand. So he does the next best thing. When you're bringing your prayer, your answer to prayer, through the second heaven, he delays it. He holds it up. He causes it to not be able to come out of the second heaven. In Daniel chapter 10, in verse 10, You've got a situation where Daniel's been praying. He's been praying for 21 days, and nothing has changed. Like, he feels like, you know, the heavens are like brass, and he's been prevailing upon God, and he's been focusing upon this prayer, and nothing is changing. He's seeing nothing move. And in verse 10 specifically, it says this, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. So this angel came and said to him, I had your answer to prayer. I've got the answer. The answer that, you know, that God had given me, I had it, and I've been trying to get through to you, but I got held up because the prince of Persia prevailed, was fighting against me. And in the end, it was such a great battle that Michael, in charge of all the warring angels, had to come and help me. And now I am here with your answer to prayer. You see, Prince refers to the word angels, and prince of the kingdom of Persia is actually a fallen demon. We would class him as a territorial demon who is over Persia. Persia is actually modern-day Iran, Iraq, and Kuwait. And he's still causing trouble today. He's still causing issues today. It starts in the spiritual realm. And until we defeat the guys with the remote controls, there will be no peace and there will be no victory. We need to find a way to attack the spiritual root of problems, not the physical um, things that we see. It's like a weed eater. When you come along with a weed eater, you're just taking what you can see off, but the root problem is down there. If you're not addressing the, the spiritual root problems that you've got, you're actually not going to win the battle. Your brother-in-law 
maybe an alcoholic. And while it might feel really good to pound his face with your fist, it's actually not going to fix the problem. But if you get on your knees before God and you begin to seek God, you begin to pray because there is a demon of alcoholism sitting in his life influencing him, you're not going to see that it's broken. You're not going to see it happen. See, we need to attack the spiritual root of things. When Jesus looked at Peter and he, said, and he bound the devil and he said to him, get behind me, Satan. In his wisdom, he recognized that although Peter had been wrong in what he had said, the true source of the problem wasn't Peter, but it was Satan. And Jesus, while he was angry with Peter, he attacked Satan. We have to understand, it's not the physical world we fight against, it's the spiritual world. If you have a person that you know who's bound up in a false religion or a false cult, don't argue with them. I'm serious. I, I get really disturbed when I hear people, Christians in particular, they go, well, I was talking to this guy the other day, and, you know, we had gotten this argument about God, and I just made him look really stupid. thing is, the Great Commission doesn't say, go into all the world and make people look stupid. You know? Have a conversation with them. And if they get to the point where they are not listening to you, you know what you need to do? You drop it. You let it go. You don't stand there and argue with them, because you know who wins in an argument? The devil. All, he's, all, all you've done is just caused, caused um, division. We don't continue the argument. What you do is you let it go and you pray for them quietly by yourself. You pray for them so that you can hopefully have another opportunity to speak. They're not going to hear if the demonic influence is not broken over their life. You have to bind up the enemy to be able to be able to speak. And remember, when you're binding the demon, the individual may still be welcoming that influence in. In effect, you are tying up the demon, but they are loosening the knots. You need to pray without ceasing. This is why the Bible says, pray without ceasing. Because you've just bound the devil once, but if they're under that, that demon's influence, they'll loosen the knot. And if you're not still praying, you, can't keep, you need to keep binding him. When the demon influence of a person is broken, they'll begin to see and hear truth. Until then, when they're under an influence of a demonic spirit of any kind, and I'm not talking about someone who's possessed, I'm talking about someone who's just been oppressed, they will not hear or see truth because the demon doesn't allow it. Anyway, let's get back to our answer to prayer, which is stuck in the middle of heaven. So you're praying and you're being, bringing it down and Satan, as we said, he delays it. He doesn't, can't take it out of your hand. He doesn't have the power, the authority to take your answer out of your hand. So, but what he can do is he can actually cause things in the physical realm to make you believe that there's no answer coming. Because remember, everything in the physical starts in the spiritual. He can make things happen in this physical realm so that you don't believe that God's answering your prayer. They have nothing to do with the status of where your prayer is at and everything to do with him distracting you. You could be praying for a salvation, salvation for a family member, and instead of them getting saved, their whole entire life gets worse. Their behavior gets worse. You might be praying for someone to, for complete healing, and instead of them getting healed, they've got new disease, or they've got a new sickness, or a new pain has come up. You might be praying for a financial breakthrough, but instead of financial breakthrough, what happens in the physical is you suddenly get these new bills come along, or the car breaks down, or, you know, the washing machine dies. You see, Satan wants you to take your progress report from this physical world because he can influence this physical world. 
He does not want you to take your progress report from God's heaven because that is the promise of yes and amen. Abraham is one of those people who did this. Him and Sarah, they were given a promise. God says, Abraham, do you want a son who you can bounce on your knee? Do you want a son who you can um, name after yourself, carry on the family line? And Abraham and Sarah were so excited. They were like, yes, yes, this is something we desire. It's something we want. So they reached out with their hand of faith, and they believed God, and they lay a hold in that heavenly realm from the throne of God that took a hold of Isaac. And by faith, they began to bring him down. And so they get delayed in the second heaven. And while they were delayed in the second heaven, they decided to take their progress report from their world around them. And the world said that Sarah is too old and Abraham is too old and you're never going to be able to have kids. And it's been like 20 odd years, never going to happen. And so what, what do they do? Well, I'm going to help God. That's what we do, isn't it? Don't we all do that? I'll help God along with the prayer that, the answer to prayer that I want. And so what happened was they let go of Isaac to pick up something in the spiritual world. They let go of Isaac, and the devil comes along, and he takes whatever it is that you've just let go in his realm, and he keeps it. They let go of Isaac to pick up something in the physical realm. The good thing about the story is, if you know it well, is that later on they realize their mistake. And they reach out, and they relay a hold of Isaac. And they manage to bring him back through. I always feel sorry for Isaac, floating around in the second heaven for all that time. I always think of this poor little baby just floating there. In Matthew 12, 29, it says, Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Is Jesus teaching us to steal? Because it says you've got to tie up the strong man so you can carry off his possessions. No, he's not. Because the strong man's possessions that he holds is stolen property. It's your property. You see, when a demon has come along and stolen things from your life, when the enemy has stolen things from your life, he stores it in his own kingdom. And what we have to do is we actually have to go in there and get it back because it's not his, it's ours. It's your promise, it's your healing, it's your salvation, it's your prosperity, it's your life, and you have to go and get it back. There have been a lot of Christians who get under attack by attempting to redeem stolen property because they did not bind the strong man. You've got to bind the strong man. You cannot go into his house. You are in the middle of a war. And I know Christians don't like thinking about being in a war, and we don't like discussing it. And you know what? It, it doesn't sound like it fits with our modern-day life to be talking about spiritual wars. But the bottom line is you are in a war whether you want to be in one or not because the devil hates you. He doesn't like you. And I know so many Christians who say, oh, but if I just ignore him, he'll ignore me. No, he won't. Not at all. That's, just, that's like, you just believed a major lie of the devil. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to kill you, destroy you, take everything you've got, and leave you with nothing. So it's time for us to reclaim our stolen property. But we have to bind him first. I don't know what you've been believing God for. I don't know what it is that you've let go in that spiritual second heaven. I don't know what it is that you were believing, let go, and now it's lost. It's actually not lost. You can reclaim it. And it's time that we did that. I really like the prophet Elisha. And there's this really cool story in there where he was 
the, the Syrian army was fighting the Israelites. And what would happen was God would tell Elisha all, that, all their plans. So then Elisha would go to the king of Israel and he would say, this is what the Syrians are going to do. And so the Syrian army was getting so frustrated because every time they attempted to overthrow Israel, Israel were a step ahead of the game. It got so bad that the Syrian king gathered all of his armies together and all of his captives, and he said, there must be a traitor. Who's telling them what we're doing? And every single one of these Syrian guys said, it's not me. It's not me. I'm not doing it. We're not doing it. It's not happening. You know, it's none of us. And after a lot of re- like torture, research, and then he goes, well, then who can be doing it? And one of the Syrian guys says, well, there is this prophet, Elisha. Maybe he's telling them. Maybe he's God speaking to him. And that was what was happening, was God was speaking to him. So the Syrian king decides, well, we need to kill Elisha because I can't have him destroying all of our plans. So he takes his whole entire army and he finds Elisha's house and he surrounds the whole house with his whole entire army. Now, Elisha had the servant Gehazi. And Gehazi, um, one morning, gets up, he goes outside, he comes, freaks out, comes running back in, and he's like, oh my gosh, Elijah, you have to come. And Elijah goes, why? What's going on? Because, you know, he was still getting up. And he goes, you have to come and see, it's just so terrible, I don't know what we're going to do. And Elijah's like, well, what is it? Oh no, you have to come and see, I can't even talk about it. So then Elijah's like, fine. So he gets up, and he comes out, and Elijah opens the door, and he goes, Oh my goodness, glory to God, this is amazing, this is fantastic. And Gehazi's like, what are you looking at? Like, he's completely confused because Gehazi, all he can see is this whole entire army completely surrounding them. And so what happens is, is that Elisha prays and he says, God, that you would open his eyes that he would see beyond this realm. And then when Gehazi began to look, he saw the entire armies of God surrounding the Syrian army. And what happened in that moment is that Gehazi was reminded that there are more for us than there are against us. Now, some of you are probably thinking, well, that's great. And the angels were there the whole time. Yeah, they were there the whole time. So they probably would have defended Elisha and Gehazi all the time. Actually, I don't know about that. The Bible says, as your faith is, so let it be unto you. We as a Christian people, we as a church, quite often have a lack of spiritual perception. We don't appropriate the right faith for our victory. Therefore, we get defeated. If you are not viewing this world as the physical world and then still viewing into the spiritual world, you won't see that God is for you, and you won't actually put your hand up and claim your victory. You'll just give up because you're too busy taking your report of what is happening from this physical world. Now, some of you are probably going, I'm not so sure about this whole three heavens thing, Trin. And some of you may have heard this teaching before, and some of you this may be brand new. The concept of having three heavens really helps some other verses make sense. In Matthew 18, 18, it talks about binding on earth. Whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever we loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Why would you need to bind anything in God's heaven? What is tied up in God's heaven that needs to be loosed? Now, For me personally, there are several guys in the second heaven with remote controls that I really would like to bind up. And there's also a whole lot of stolen property that I have that I know is still sitting in the second heaven, and that needs to be loosed. You see, Jesus taught us we bind 
and then we lose. Another scripture that helps with the concept of three heavens is Malachi 3 verse 10. Because God says that if we tithe, he will open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings. But Psalm 84.11 says, No good thing will he withhold from them who walk uprightly. So why is God withholding his blessings from us? Well, he's not. Not in his heaven. He doesn't, need, doesn't put windows in his heaven because all of his promises for us are yes and amen. But there are a whole lot of stuff that belongs to us that is sitting in the, seventh, uh, the second heaven. And there are windows in that heaven. So when you begin to move and tithe and looking for prosperity, God will force those windows open to pour out blessings. Matthew eleven twelve says that the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Why would Jesus encourage us to be violent with God? If, you have, if there's only one heaven, I, I, that doesn't make sense. But if there are three heavens, there's a second heaven that we most certainly need to be violent against. We most certainly need to charge in there and take back what is ours by force because the enemy isn't going to give it up to you. Matthew 16, 19 talks about the king's keys of the kingdom. I give to you the keys of the kingdom. We have free access into God's heaven. We don't need keys to get in and out of that heaven. We just call out Father, and he gladly throws open the doors for us to be with him. But what we do need is keys to get in and out of the second heaven. There are things that are locked up that we need to unlock in, that, in Satan's domain. Those are the keys of heaven. So hopefully that kind of backs up a bit. And I'm, this is a teaching that I, I heard years and years ago when I first got saved that I have believed and I have researched on myself and I've read other things and I'm trying to condense down a, a huge amount of information into this tiny message just so you could understand. But Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Firstly, we have to establish relationship with him. This is actually a pattern for spiritual warfare. Most people don't realize that, but this is how we warfare. Firstly, we establish relationship, our Father. Secondly, we acknowledge his authority. It's in heaven, his heaven. Thirdly, we offer praise and worship. You have to note that the first three um, requests in the Lord's Prayer are actually on behalf of God. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Is this how we pray? Do you pray like this? If you want to be successful, you need to learn to use the greatest weapon that we have in our arsenal. As a Christian, the greatest weapon you have is actually the weapon of praise. What makes the third heaven God's heaven? We talked last week about the presence of the glory of God. It's God's presence and it's God's glory. God himself makes heaven heaven. And if that's true, what does he make your heart when he comes into it? Just a little piece of heaven. Heaven is wherever God is. And because God's kingdom, the third heaven, and Satan's kingdom in the second heaven are both in the spiritual realm, they cannot coexist. When God's kingdom is established, Satan's kingdom is displaced by it. They cannot be the same place. Remember, we talked about God's glory. His enemies cannot stand before his glory. So therefore, where God's kingdom is established, Satan's kingdom has to move. Have you ever felt like your prayers weren't getting through? I can assure you God hears every single one of your prayers. 
They can be hindered by satanic forces who oppress us, and that's when we go to war. When you feel like you're praying and it's like it's just hitting the brass of the, it's hitting the top of the ceiling, it's not going anywhere else. That's when you need to, that's when you need to start warfare. Do you know how we start warfare? By praise. Israel was always led into battle by the tribe of Judah. The tribe of Judah is a tribe specifically that were full of musicians. The name Judah means praise. Symbolically, God was teaching us, and Jesus was teaching us with the Lord's Prayer, to approach warfare with praise going before us. The Strong's Concordance says that the root word for the word Judah is Yada. And interestingly enough, what we have in there is the different meanings. One is to throw a stone and or an arrow. Another meaning is to revere or worship with extended hands. So what we have is to praise and to shoot. These all coming from the same word. Praise is a formidable weapon that we have against the enemy. Praise will bring down his kingdom. When you feel surrounded, when you feel like your prayers are not going anywhere, the most strategic thing to do is to lift your hands and to begin to praise. When you praise the name of the Lord, you change the atmosphere. When you praise the name of the Lord, you are throwing stones and arrows into the second heaven. You are fighting back the kingdom of darkness. And I get so frustrated. Like, you know, some people, when we come into praise and worship for church, they treat it like a song, and it's not. We are actually doing warfare. We are pushing back this realm. We are pushing back this heaven, and we are bringing the third heaven down and into us. That is what we are looking for. When you begin to praise, it's his word that you seek. When you begin to praise, it's the word of God that begins to flow, and it's the word of God that pushes back the enemy. One of the things that we need to really work on is um, making sure that you know the word of God. I've been harping on about this all year. You've got to know your word. The other thing is I recommend is put on praise and worship. Do you know why? Because there are many little sermons. There are many sermons about the goodness and the greatness of God. There are many sermons about the things that God does. And as you do that, what happens is, is you begin to experience his presence in your life, his glory in your life. And what happens when his glory falls? Because his glory cannot be in the same place as his enemies. Paul and Silas were in prison. And prison in those days was pretty awful. They didn't have um, public, oh, sorry, they didn't have modern facilities. The stench would have been horrific. Not only that, but demons tend to congregate around places like that. Because you know what? The people in those prisons would have been pretty depressed, would have been pretty miserable, angry, possibly violent. And Paul's sitting in there, and Silas, and they're in this prison. And Paul says to Silas, you know what? If we make bail and we get out of here, I'm going to praise God. It's actually not what he said. But that's what we say. We say, God, you know, if you fix this, I will praise you. We wait so often for God to do something, for God to move so we can praise him for what he has done. You need to understand that we thank him for what he has done, and we praise him for what he is going to do.
If you're waiting for God to get you out of your prison, if you're waiting for God to get you out of your marriage problems or get you out of your financial situation before you praise him, you're going to be waiting a long time. That's not how it works. See, Paul and Silas understood the function of praise. I really like this story because I can imagine that they were sitting there. And maybe Paul, because he seemed to always be writing some stuff, maybe he had just said, hey, I've written this thing, I just want to read you this passage. And while Silas is sitting there, if he's anything like me, and if anyone, if you've been around me long enough, I will sometimes randomly just sing out song lyrics, just randomly do it, because they play in my head all the time. I wake up in the morning and I'll have a worship song playing in my head. Or, you know, and so sometimes I just forget that I'm supposed to stay in my head and I'll just start singing. It just comes out. And I can imagine Silas sitting there and Paul's just said something pretty inspiring, but, you know, things are kind of miserable. But Silas is there and he just starts tapping because he's got this kind of phrase going through his head. Maybe it was something he'd sung at, at a church meeting a little while ago, but it's going through his head. So he begins to just sing it. And then Paul picks up on it and goes, like, I remember that song. So he joins in and he starts singing it. And in this situation, these two guys in this really awful place that stunk, that was full of violence and anger and depression, they begin to lift up the name of God. They begin to sing praises to God. They begin to say, God, I thank you for the fact that you are for us and you are not against us. I thank you, God, that your hand is always stretched out. I thank you, God, that your promises are yes and amen. I thank you, God, that goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And they begin to do that. And as they begin to do that, do you know what they were doing? They were throwing stones and arrows into middle heaven so that the enemy then had to flee. The kingdom of God had begun to displace the kingdom of Satan. The glory of God, the third heaven, filled that place with such an intensity that it began to shake the substructure of that building. And what happened was that the doors of the prison completely broke apart and they were set free, all because of praise all because they managed to praise God and bring his glory in his presence, which means they brought the third heaven into this physical realm and they changed what was happening in that realm. They changed the structure of that prison so that God inhabited their praises. Why does God inhabit the praise of his people? So, he can, so we can fight back the enemy, so we can push Satan back, because where God's glory is, the enemy cannot stay. Ephesians 2, 6 says, And God has raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. How can we sit in heavenly places? Either God has some serious high chairs, or he comes and he brings the third heaven with him, where we have full access to the throne of God. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen was martyred for the cause of Christ. And as the stones were being thrown at him, and as his bones were breaking and his organs were being crushed, and as the life was just draining from him, he still held to the praises of God. He still kept talking and singing the praises of God in that moment. He still lifted up the name of the Lord. He didn't stop and began to feel sorry for himself. In fact, in verse 56 it says, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. The first heaven had been pushed back. The second heaven had been displayed. 
displaced and the first third heaven had actually come and sat so that Stephen could see into the third heaven. See, God's not far off. God is right there with us. His presence is right in front of Stephen and his presence is right in front of you. I don't know what your trials are that you're facing. I don't know what things you've been believing for for 10, 15, 20 years. But what I do know is you need to lay a hold of them. If you let them go, you need to pick them up again. Because they're just floating around. They're still there. Because God's promises for his people are yes and amen. So why don't we stand to our feet and we're going to pray. And this is a moment between you and God. Will you think of those things that you let go? Or you think of those things that you're still believing for? Take this moment to re-strengthen your grip, to hold it tighter, to reaffirm that you're believing God. If it's something that you let go, ask God to place it back in your hand.